So here we are again, another episode, another conversational journey to go down. But before we walk down that path, I want to tell you a story about a man, a man who was so worried about snakes that when he walked into his darkly lit room one night and saw something that looked like a snake on the floor in the darkness of his room, it was long, it was wiggly, it was somewhere it shouldn't be. He nearly had a heart attack. He spiked his cortisol, his heart rate increased, broke out in a cold sweat, only to run away and come back later when it was bright enough to see and realize that it was just a piece of rope on the ground. Somebody left a piece of rope on the ground, which begs the question, who was in his room and why were they messing with rope that they would leave a three to four foot piece of rope just hanging out on the ground? But that's besides the point. Breaking and entering isn't cool, never has been, probably never will be. But what is the point is that sometimes we work ourselves up so much that we turn a completely innocuous thing into the worst thing that's ever happened to us. I know I do this in my life all the time. I'm sure you do too. And this week's conversation is no different. We started off by talking about this cultural phenomenon, what's known as GameStop. GameStop stock, Wall Street bets, all that good stuff. But it turns into something else. It turns into something that when we finally shed some light on it, well, I don't want to ruin it for you, but I'd like to think that this is a nuanced view that you have not yet heard about this topic and that will allow you to think a little bit deeper about everything that surrounds you in the rest of your life. So without further ado, I would love to present to you number, I don't know, seven, eight of Musings with Megan and Michael. Look, this, what, I think that this is like one of the biggest things to happen in a long time. And what you were saying yesterday or this morning, I don't remember, about how like, wow, look how the president changes and all of a sudden all the things happening in the news have nothing to do with the president. Isn't it so nice? (laughs) Yeah, it's really nice for the biggest drama that's happening in the world right now to not have anything to do with Trump. Which is crazy Yeah. that we're finally, like, on the other end of this. But, like, that's a completely different topic. Yeah. So what's your take? Well, okay. So first, let's set the scene. Um, Undoubtedly, you've been inundated with these stories about what's happening on Wall Street with Robinhood, uh, the the online trading app. Of course, it's online. The the mobile, like, easy-to-use trading app for anybody. I use it. I use Robinhood. Yeah, I remember. Um, you were so, an economics major too. So did you actually talk about anything with like investing when you got your degree or was it? No, we don't talk about investing. But the cool thing about economics is any any person with any history in economics will tell you like all economics is, is the study of incentives. And it gets very mathematical sometimes and very theoretical sometimes. But ultimately, all you're trying to figure out is why people do what they should do and if it's rational or not. Mm. Okay. So, like, that's honestly, that's how I think about everything as an adult, anyway. But what did I, how did I explain this situation to you? Because you said that I did a great job explaining it. 
you explained it to me in a way that because I don't know anything about the stock market and then when I tried when I read up on other people trying to explain it it made way less sense to me than you did but I think the reason why the way you explained it really affected me and showed me how important it was because is because you talked about the greater implications of what shorting does to companies so you were talking about when these hedge funds come in and short a stock how it basically starts this pile on where then other companies start doing it as well start selling it whatever and basically tank a company without any concern for the repercussions that that has for employees and the working class and this and that like they'll just decide to undercut a company for whatever reason and just like destroy people's livelihoods so i think you made it you really showed me like the the moral implications of it and what i what i actually was thinking about this morning is like companies are going to fail so like people in the stock market don't need to like always be trying to prop up certain companies but simply not buying the stock shows how much faith you have in that company we don't need to go in the opposite direction and actually say we think this is going to fail so they because it, cause it because them failing like you exactly want because it's a cycle then. that like yeah. it, it, it it creates it's its own self-fulfilling uh process so basically gamestop was is not doing great you don't have to go to a video game store anymore. Like, you know, all the, yeah. all the platforms now, you download the game. Right. So it's like there's almost no reason for GameStop. But um, nevertheless, they don't need to be, uh, you know, kicked when they're down. Yeah, right? got their knees cut out from under them. So Especially because there's something so quaint. And so it's like bookstores, right? Like, I love to go to a bookstore and feel it in my hands. So mm. these kind of shops, these brick-and-mortar stores... They have such a place in our mainstream society, or our, our our downtown main street. I or the strip malls. <laughs> or the strip malls. <laughs> that we all that we all grew up by. I used to love. There was a GameStop next to the Coles in Northampton at Northampton Crossing, like on two forty eight. Yeah. Uh, back back where we grew up, and my mom would be like, "I gotta go into Coles for something." get me whatever get like clothes or a birthday present for somebody it happened like inevitably once a month at least she had to go to Kohl's because she always had a great deal right and I would be like okay I'm not going in there with you I'm going to the video game store yeah and I would go into GameStop and I would get to play like we didn't have I had a GameCube oh yeah like yeah and like people still laugh at me for that like and I had to sell my Nintendo 64 and then raise over like a year and a half enough money to pay for the rest of the GameCube. Like I bought that myself. Oh, wow. But that was when I was in like, I don't know, seventh grade or eighth grade or something like that. So then all these new systems started coming out and they're like 200, 300, $400. I didn't have the money for that. And as I was getting more interested in like girls or like being a bad kid and like needing money (laughs) for gas and stuff like that to drive places that I shouldn't be. To drive into Philly. (laughs) Um, I stopped caring as much about video games, but I still like them. So that was the only time I got to play the new systems or the only time I got to mess around with like new games and stuff. I loved it. I loved my time. Yeah. Like that's actually like a very, when I found, when I heard that GameStop was the, the, the stock, like that's what it was all about. It made so much sense because there's a nostalgia. Exactly. Everybody on Reddit, like I said it to you before, like if you're on Reddit and you understand the stock market, you play video games. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt in my mind, you play video games and you're probably my peer. 
So you have a nostalgic place in your heart for something like GameStop. I mean, in that way, Robinhood and these online platforms for stock trading is like basically adult video games, isn't it? It's like video games for grownups. Surely. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's at least what they turned it into. So these guys realized that Melvin Capital and, uh, and a few other uh, large hedge funds were essentially con- conspiring. I say essentially because it's, you can't prove it. Uh, but mm-hmm. also, also it's like we—it's so silly because we know that all these hedge fund people that run these hedge funds all know each other. They mm-hmm. all know what each other is doing. They all know what's going on in the market, and they and they can see trends. Yeah. So like, it almost doesn't even matter. They're like, oh hey, Melvin Capital thinks that GameStop's going to go under. We better hop on that as well. And and all of a sudden, there's ten billion dollars saying that GameStop's going to go under. And somebody on Reddit noticed, and they're like, hey, we like GameStop. Yeah. Let's buy stock, and let's screw these guys over because they're trying to kill a company that we that we care about. Right. You know? Even if they didn't care about it, enough people, enough people hate the way that hedge funds operate enough that uh, they would do it anyway. Yeah, right, right. right. And Melvin Capital, I was just reading this, uh, I, I didn't realize this until today, lost more money than the fund was worth. Wow. So they had to like get a cash injection from from elsewhere and like get support to like continue operating. They should go under. They should go under. By all metrics, by the way that they treat GameStop, they said, hey, GameStop is spending more money than they're making. They shouldn't be a company anymore. Melvin Capital did exactly that same thing. They spent more money than they made, so they shouldn't be a company anymore either. Yeah. This whole idea of shorting though, like betting against a company's success essentially like betting on them to fail and hoping that they fail isn't in like horse racing isn't that illegal to do that because then you have incentive to like hurt the horse or something like Uh, i I think it's actually illegal yeah Uh, neither do i but but it should be i'm pretty sure it is like i think you can't what a crazy practice we have enough negative uh thought loops and negative self-talk going on in our internal dialogues these days that imagine if your job was to just pick losers it's so cruel that's such a that that's such a dark like internal environment to to exist in my entire job is to find people who are failing yeah and make them fail more right how can you how can you like there's no way you could say that you're making the world a better place. And I know that's not everybody's reason for existing, um, even though it should be in some context. But it doesn't matter. That shit affects you eventually. Like, dude, the um, people who have to screen content on, like, Facebook, on, like, social media platforms and stuff. Remember listening to that Radio Lab episode about it? Oh, who have to censor stuff? Yeah, like they have to determine if stuff is okay for the internet or not. Yeah, Or I was listening to, I think it was a Sam Harris podcast, talking to somebody who's created one of these organizations that tries to get child pornography off the internet. Oh my God. And both of those conversations talk about how, and of course this is some of the most insidious content on planet Earth. Of course. But how it like just destroys your internal you environment you're trying to get rid of it but to get rid of it you have to see it non-stop oh every my god day. it's horrible so the same thing's gonna happen if you're if you're doing that in, in like a much like i guess more socially acceptable context but still all you're doing is looking for minuses 
how can I turn this minus into a plus for me? You're looking to make the minus into a bigger minus for someone else. Like, imagine if you walked through the world looking for people who are struggling and trying to figure out ways to kick them while they're down for your own gain. That's a, it's like it's, it's literally, literally what it is. It's literally the opposite of Robin Hood. It's so funny that that company is called that. It's literally like seeing a homeless guy begging for money, kicking him, and taking his bowl. Well, well, no, well, Robin Hood. Yeah, I know. The, the company, Robin Hood, the platform was used for what we would all say as a retail good thing. traders. Yeah we, we, yeah, we would say in this context, it was it was a good thing. Yeah. However, since that happened the very next day, and I got multiple notifications on my phone. Uh, and emails, they ceased the ability, they stopped the ability to purchase GameStop and like 15 or 16 other stocks, and you're only allowed to sell your positions on, on uh, and the other one's called Citadel. Citadel and Robinhood are the two main ones that people were using oh, yeah. for that. But the messed up part is, is all of these hedge fund guys who have what are called like Bloomberg ter- terminals, which basically is hooked directly into the you said turd minerals. yeah turd minerals. <laughs> <laughs> they're hooked like essentially directly into the stock market they can still trade that stock it's not like it was turned off for everybody it was just turned off on these platforms that average joes are using so it's just the little guy that got which is regular which is which is the opposite of robin hood it's like oh robin hood steals from the rich gives to the poor that's exactly what the redditors did and then robin hood's like no no not like that now you're not allowed to trade yeah and they use the excuse <laughs> the of saying that there can. is yeah they use the excuse of saying that there's too much uh traffic and they need to like be safe or something like that and discord do you know discord yeah, right? yeah. discord is like um it, it's a chat room it's like a live chat. So like people who want to communicate with people on other platforms but can't do it in a live fashion. So like on Reddit, you can't really have a conversation with somebody else. So mm-hmm. there most times will be a Discord server that is the same name as the, the subreddit. Oh, okay. So you gotcha. can talk to each other. Oh, yeah. Discord yeah. took down the Wall Street Bets Discord uh, server. No way. Because they said that there was hate speech on there. Oh, come on. As a cop-out. Hate speech against billionaires. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, we can't regulate it. There's too much traffic. There's hateful things going on. We just need to take it off. Ugh, Which is like Discord's, fear. I think Discord's owned by Microsoft. Okay. So that's the thing. Even when you hear this talked about in the mainstream media too, like, did you happen to see this billionaire who went on CNN and was like, wah, wah, woe is me. We're losing so much money. And it's like, lose a couple yachts i don't care you know so tired of the crocodile tears from the billionaire class i guess that's the hardest part for me too about all of this is for those of you listening like especially in america inequality right now has never been so great and we're moving into the largest ever period of wealth inequality in not only American history, but like even worse than Rome, who is often held up as an example of like extreme wealth disparity yeah. ever because of the pandemic. Mm. Within one month of, I think within one or three months of the pandemic, I forget, but like within the first half of the pandemic, most of the billionaires, the richest 1% that lost money because of the start of the pandemic, mm-hmm. they regained the money that they lost and started making more. They figured out ways to make money off the pandemic by, by now. 
so that they're actually profiting from it. Yeah. Right? And that's the richest 1%. While the working class. The working class. It's estimated that we, as like anybody who's not the richest 1%, so like if you have less than $100 million, <laughs> this is you, um, won't recoup their losses for 10 years on average. It's going to take 10 years for people to get back to where they were at the start of 2020. Wow. So all of this stuff happening and um, just highlighting this, this portion of society for me is so super important and so like a necessary step for us to understand that you can't live in a world where you have a perfect house and a private helicopter and and a yacht with a landing pad and and a, and a doomsday bunker <laughs> but outside the gate of your property is slums Exactly. Because that's what we're moving towards. Exactly. And I think you nailed it too by saying that unless you have a hundred million dollars, this isn't you, is that people start making six figures, say, and they start feeling rich. Mm -hmm. And in comparison to their neighbors or their family or whatever, they're like, I've made it. I'm rich. I'm making six figures or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. So then when they hear people talk about the rich they think they're in that category and like yeah you're You're, wealthy you're you're well off congratulations you're not the 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 difference between someone who makes six figures a year and someone who makes a million or a billion dollars is so incredibly vast i think people need to not categorize themselves with the wealthy i think that's why like a lot of not to get too much into politics can i just double off of that for a second yeah if you're in the richest 10%, which making six figures would put you in the richest 10%, yeah. the difference between that 10th percentile and that top percentile yeah. is from here to the sun. Whereas yeah. the difference from that 10th percentile and maybe somebody in the 70th percentile is from here to Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a very, very big difference there. So that's why I think like a lot of working class people tend to think like, well, it's not so far-fetched that I might double my income someday and make six figures. Right. So then they start think they start voting and voting for people who write policies that protect the rich because they think I can be rich soon someday because they're thinking like I'll make six figures someday and be rich, right? Mm-hmm. So they start voting against their own current self-interest mm-hmm. in the hopes that someday they'll be in a higher tax bracket and yeah. that those things will apply to them. Let me let rather me... than like actually thinking about themselves realistically and voting in the interest of others around them for their neighbors, for their family, rather than for their own hypothetical future wealth. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. What uh, Ramit Sethi, Sethi. Yeah who I really love. He, he is one of the first people that that made me think while I was in the Marine Corps and we were trying to decide what to do next. He's one of the first people that put it, that allowed me to put enough faith in myself to say, oh, maybe I could work for myself, mm-hmm. right? He wrote a great book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, which I highly recommend to anybody who's trying to like achieve financial um, stability or like, you know, just like understand how that all that stuff works. Mm. Um, one of his big sayings is don't be f- don't be 40 until you're 40 essentially to that to that degree Go, uh, so basically he's saying like look you're going to be 40 eventually 
and you're going to have to get a colonoscopy and you're going to need to like, you know, start treating your body in a different way. Yeah. And you have to start going to bed earlier and whatever, whatever you do when you're 40, right? Right. I'm not 40 yet. <laughs> but you don't need to start doing that stuff now. Like, right. don't make your colonoscopy appointment for next week if you have 10 years till you're 40. Yeah. And that's the same thing. It's like these people, anybody who votes with the mentality of a bit of a millionaire, even though they have more debt than assets. Yeah. They're set. It's the equivalent to putting a down payment on a helicopter so that you can get it when you have enough money. It's like you're paying for a helicopter, but it's like. You're not going to be able to have that for the next 100 years. Yeah, exactly. I think it was Leonard Pitts who wrote one time, and I know I've quoted this before because it so resonates. He was like talking about people who vote for, mostly he was talking about a lot of people who vote Republican, consider themselves to be temporarily embarrassed millionaires. You know, I love that so much because it's like, oh, I'm just not there yet, but I'll get there. You know what I mean? Versus voting for your actual interest in the moment. Yeah. You don't get a colonoscopy. There's this other thing that I was kind of raised on because my grandfather was he was retired pretty much. I think he was working when I was young, but he was retired by the time I was like eight or not. Yeah. Right. And he would spend all day watching CNBC because he had all of his retirement in certain funds uh, and he would just like end certain stocks and stuff. He did a little bit of day trading and stuff as well. So he wanted to know what was happening with his money. So I was always kind of surrounded by that. And just like the, everybody in my family has always been aspirationally rich. I'll put it that way. Oh, very, that's a good way of very, saying it. Very yeah. much like in that category that you just described. And yeah. like, I don't think that that's a terrible place to be. However, the mentality that I was always raised with was you need to, essentially, you need to be 40 before you're 40. Oh, do you think Warren Buffett does that? Do you think uh, the Koch brothers think like that? Do you exactly. think, you know, like I was always like hit back with this thing. And it's and it's it's exactly the same point where it's kind of like, okay, there are certain things that I can take from, from uh, Lee Iacocca's uh, auto, uh, book. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's, what it's titled, but it's like what they tell everybody to, to read or <laughs> how to make friends and, and influence people. Yeah, right. Like those types of books. There's certain things that I can take from them. But at the same time, I'm not a bad person if I recognize the, the status that I'm currently at. Yeah. Well, what usually happens, I think, for people who are aspirationally rich, right, who think that they belong there, they just haven't gotten there yet. And I don't think your family falls into this category. But what I see a lot is people who fall into that category end up then looking down on people who are just slightly below them financially. And they or take their peers or their peers. And they take this pride in, for example, they'll the people who shit on others who are on welfare or getting government assistance or food stamps or whatever the most are the people who are just slightly above that because they have this sense of pride in not having to rely on the government for things right i feel like that's the ones who look down the most on the others because they have this feeling like i'm not supposed to be there and i've pulled myself out of it ever so slightly so now you all are the scum of the earth you know and I think that's a big problem there is when people who are so close to that, as soon as they get the slightest leg up, they start putting down others and being condescending to others who are below them rather than pulling them up with them, mm-hmm. you know? The, what's a bodhisattva? 
What's a bodhisattva? Yeah. You tell me. No, like, just give me your, your thoughts on it. My understanding of a bodhisattva? Yeah. Someone, just simply, yeah. A human. Okay. Who recognizes their Buddha nature. Okay. Recognizes that they have the divine light within them or whatever, so it's not so weighed down by humanity, mm-hmm. but chooses to stay in the human realm to help lift others up, to help others okay. recognize their Buddha nature. Yeah, sure. Is that your understanding as well? Um, yeah, basically. I mean, I think it can be put even more simply uh, in, in this context, and this is why I bring it up, is a bodhisattva is essentially someone who learned how to live life a little bit better, and they decide instead of grabbing for more or looking down on those who didn't figure the thing out that they figured out, they turn around and stick their hand out and bring as many people with them as possible. Wow. So that's like you get off food stamps instead of like yelling at people who are still on food stamps. You show them what you show them what you did. Yeah, you help them do you what you them. did to get there. That's just like a small example. It's the whole uh, if you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. Uh, yeah, that's nice. I love that. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, it's it's just so so I guess the reason that um, I think this way is because the part that boggles my mind so much is I know that we're constantly inundated with like these rich lifestyles or these like lavish parties or like material goods, all this stuff, right? Constantly. And I know that those things cost money, but if you sat down and did a budget for yourself of everything you could ever desire, actually found out how much it costed, wrote down the thing, uh, you know, dollar for dollar and figured it out, you wouldn't be able to spend a billion dollars. Wow. I don't think you would. Like you would have to have very specific and very like unnecessarily lavish taste. Like any of us normal people who are like, ah, I just, if I just had a, a billion dollars, I would do everything I want. You and Megan, you and I talk about this all the time. We're like, what would we do differently? If we I won the lottery. If, yeah. If we had a hundred million dollars, what would we do differently? I don't know. Fly business class home when we visit our parents. <laughs> yeah. Maybe visit my mom more often. That's it. Yeah. And and we in fact make less money now than we than we did five than years we ago. Ever have, probably. Yeah. So so I lost my train of thought. You know how you could spend a billion dollars is like if you wanted a private island, but that island was the entire continent of Australia, and in order to have it private, you had to pay off every single citizen to leave and move. And it's something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's something to buy an so, entire government. It's something so insane. Yeah. So I guess uh, now I remember my point. Is I'm kind of like, who even really wants a billion dollars? But we often say, too, like, you would want it to be able to help others, to be able to fix the world. I saw Elon Shh. Musk tweeted, not that. Did you just shush No, no, no. I was, I was, I was, yes, be quiet. You're starting a sentence with shh. Yeah. Go on. Tell us about Elon Musk. He tweeted something along the lines of, I got to find it for you. He said something like, yes, I want to donate. It's harder than you'd think to figure out where to use your money. And I like, I believe that. I think it's a lame excuse, but I definitely believe it because you never know. Like if you cure world hunger, for example, and then everybody is living longer, like sounds like such a wonderful thing to do, right? 
what's the impact of that on the environment on the planet what's you know what i mean like there are well, probably like that. this like, butterfly effect that happens from any good intended thing that we do i think it's a lame excuse still because yeah. there is so much good you can do i think by that tweet also he kind of meant if even if you donate to charities there are certain charities like what was the breast cancer one the, the pinker one yeah when i don't know if it still exists but like when people actually looked at it, it was like out of every $1 that gets donated to that organization, $0.08 cents made it to actual cancer research. The rest went to the people who run the foundation and like other stuff like that. But luckily, there are watchdog organizations yeah, are, that do the accounting and know which charities are good. So like, that's also a lame excuse, right? Like, it's For still, sure. a, there. I think there are ways. But yeah, to your point of how would you spend it, but who it, would even want it? Uh, I think there are ways, but you would have to like work with governments. You'd have to work with these these organizations that have been in place for so long that have been doing the work already. It's not like Megan and Michael can start the Megan and Michael Foundation and know how to fix the world. You know, we would need to be working with experts who have already been doing it. Okay, so what? So what's your point about Elon Musk? Just that he was saying it's harder than you would think to even have a billion dollars and know how to do good in the world. But you gotta try, right? Yeah, I don't know how how or what I'm thinking about that right now. How did you? How are you gonna close out the bodhisattva thought? Um, I think that's pretty obvious. What? Well, I'm just saying that that in my eyes, that's what actually we're we're meant to do. I've in in, in the past to help each other. Yeah, in the past few years, as I've been developing. The way that I really view the world, which is interesting because I've been an adult for quite a while, but <laughs> but I couldn't tell you six years ago how I viewed the world. I don't know. You yeah. know, I didn't think about it that deeply. But now that I think about it quite deeply, the way that I view the world and actually the meaning of life, I, I remember... Michael's about to tell us the meaning of I'm life. I'm going to tell you after this short story. <laughs> um, that... I'd like to take a moment here to just thank today's sponsor, yogatrotter.com. Yogatrotter.com is the premier online yoga resource. Whether you want to go deeper into how the yoga poses got their names, yin yoga, how to teach pranayama or breathing, or how to build a habit with yoga, yogacharter.com is your go-to resource. You know, when the world came to a crashing halt last March, Megan, the lead teacher over at yogacharter.com, said, no, the world needs what I have to share. And she moved all of her knowledge and expertise online so that you could have it anywhere on planet Earth. Yogacharter.com is the place that I go to whenever I'm curious about how a goofy yoga pose got a name. I say, this doesn't look anything like a cow. What's going on here? Hop into my Gods of Yoga online teaching portal. And I find out exactly how and why that happened. So if you're curious about any of these things or you just want to support the podcast, then support our sponsors. Go to yogacharter.com slash learn hyphen online and check out all the great offerings over there and get your yoga on. Go ahead. Trot your little fingertips over there right now. We won't mind. The podcast will be there when you get back. Now back to our show. When I went to Boy Scout camp, when I was uh, a young kid, I took the Wiggling Merit Badge. 
and like boy scout camp is basically like uh it's basically like college the way it's set up they have all these merit badges that you could achieve over the week that you're there and you choose which ones you want based on the time slots and what you have time for so one of them that i did was like was whittling and i had to be there at like 10 a.m. every day for five days in a row, and then I would a get whittle. my whittling merit badge. Do you still know how to whittle? You yeah, never I'm whittled great, me anything. I'm a great whittler. <laughs> um, and I finished my final whittling project, and the guy who was grading me, the older Boy Scout, he made me walk around the building a couple times while he did filled out the grading sheet and, and like looked at what I did and stuff like that. Okay. And he told me while I had to walk around the building um, that... I had to figure out the meaning of life and come back and tell him. <laughs> right? Okay. And I came back and I told him something to the effect of the 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 meaning of life is to just live life. Oh. I was like it's just to lit it's to do this. It's to live live life like this. That was like the moral of soul. We just watched Soul, the Pixar movie. Don't ruin it for everybody. What what do they think it's about? It's called Soul. He's dead the whole time. <laughs> let's just live that's actually the first place that i saw uh i what's that movie called i see dead people oh the sixth sense oh yeah the sixth sense you just ruined that one i saw that i saw that movie for the first time at boy scout camp trigger uh, what do they call it uh spoiler, spoiler if you don't know anything about the sixth sense then by now by now you're a lost cause like you're <laughs> he was dead the whole time <laughs> um where, 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 where are we going? Oh, so yeah. The so the meaning of, of life. life, the meaning of life is what I said as a kid, just to live life and to help as many people as possible live it as, as well as possible. So like, it's kind of like a two tiered effect, but you can think about yourself as the other as well. Cause we often do feel like we've otherized ourselves. Like, like I'm better than myself right now. So myself is such a terrible person. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. Megan's yawning, so. No, I, I didn't mean to yawn. It was it's a like, confusion. Yawn. It's like the duality. It's like a, a concept of duality. No, no. How duality. many of us look at ourselves is is in a dualistic type of way, where we think we are this thing. Many people think they're like their spirit or their consciousness or something like that, and their body. Right. And there's a and there's a divide between the two. And so in that way, we otherize ourselves and we can choose to identify more with one or the other yeah. or downplay one or the other. Right. So anyway, that's how I mean that this includes yourself, even though when you recognize now, I'm going to like just drop stuff here. But when you recognize the interdependentness of all things, one of the first things you recognize is that there is no distinguishment between your body and your consciousness or your spirit. Now, that's right. there's there's thousands of years of buddhist teachings in just one discipline to unpack that but that's essentially yeah the buddhist teachings hindu teachings whatever to unpack all that but okay if you if you are one and then also you come to the next realization that everybody is interconnected and we Mm -hmm. all are are, all are essentially one it's a very that's a very dumbed down way of putting it but when you recognize that and then you understand what the bodhisattva path is. All you're doing is helping yourself. Ooh, it's so selfish. <laughs> you could look at it in that way. No, it's But in a good way. Yeah, it's in 
I mean, I think that that's kind of a hard pill for some people to swallow, though, right? Like, we say this, we are all one, and when you see everyone's true Buddha nature, and it's like, yeah, in theory, yes. In practice, I don't like everybody enough to want to, like, hang out with everybody all the time, even let alone. Mm. So it's almost like this bigger idea. It doesn't mean you have to be friends with everybody. It doesn't mean you have to spend all your time with everybody else or even like everybody else because what you're actually seeing there when you dislike someone is their external layer conditioned by society, conditioned by being a human. Of course you're not going to like them all the time, but when you get deeper into the realization of their innate humanity, divinity, whatever you want to call it, you can help them. Without particularly liking hanging out with them, right? Please tell me that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's like if you see somebody trip and fall, no matter who they are, Mm. you should stick out your hand to help them get up. Yeah. But you then don't have to take them to the bar and have 15 beers and ask them to be your best man. And you don't have to empty your wallet for them if you can't pay for your own meal. You can help them in other ways and things. I think this is where people get stuck sometimes. Okay. All right. We have time. Can we flesh this out for the rest of this? Okay. Say that again, but like in a way that I can comprehend. I think, you know, because right now, most people are experiencing some degree of financial difficulty. Well, at least the working class, right? Not the billionaire Statistically, that is most people. So everyone's going through financial issues right now. Okay. If you are struggling to put food on your own table because you've lost your job due to COVID or whatever, and you see your your neighbor struggling worse than you, and you literally can't in good consciousness give them money Mm -hmm. because you too are struggling... You know, I I said this to you one time too, like, if I were to walk up to the Dalai Lama or to Mother Teresa when she was alive or to any of these divine beings and say, hey, can I have 20 bucks? They wouldn't give 20 bucks to every single person who walks up to them and asks for it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make them any less of a bodhisattva. That doesn't make them any less of a saint or however you want to look at it. It's that there are other ways to help if you just don't have the money to give. Like, I don't want this conversation about bodhisattvas and helping others and seeing your oneness with others to end up being a thing of privilege again, Mm -hmm. where it's like you need to be wealthy enough to help others. You need to be Elon Musk to help others or whatever. What are the ways that we can help others if we ourselves are financially struggling? That's my question. So that person who just pulled themselves out of welfare how can they reach back and pull up the people who are still on it because they really don't have enough to give or they'll be right back there themselves it's so funny i read this uh book by an economics professor not too long ago and the way that he opens the book is by talking about all the fictions that we've created Mm. as a society and one of those fictions is money right and he he talks about that so it's so funny that that's the way that people immediately jump to thinking some people not everybody not all the time but immediately jump to thinking i can't help because i i don't even have any savings myself to to immediately going well the only way you can help somebody is with money Mm. yeah sure that's one way but it's not even it's not even the beginning of the ways it's not even the simplest or the easiest or the most uh, the 
the most helpful of the ways either. Yeah. Like, I've heard interviews, for example, with homeless people, people who are suffering from homelessness, who, while on the sidewalk, they say the most important thing for them, of course, they appreciated when people gave money or food or something, but the most important thing they said was when people would acknowledge them, look at them, treat them as human, rather than just rushing by and ignoring and, oh, I hope that person doesn't look at me, I hope that person doesn't approach me. The, That's the- free. Yeah. And the neural energy, like if you want to think about money as financial energy, let's mm-hmm. just go with that for a second. The neural energy that somebody's given from uh, having their humanity recognized, for instance, yeah. this would happen in the Marine Corps often. Like I remember when I was at OCS and like there was like the one time one of the instructors uh, looked me in the eye and like asked me a legitimate question. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm human. Like when, they're trying to beat you down, right? Right. right. That, but yeah. when that was given back to me, oh my god, that, that that was enough energy for me to finish the course. That was enough energy yeah. for me to like find the 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 grit that I needed to make it through the next thing that was going on. Wow. So the neural energy that you could give somebody, and I don't even mean physical. I mean like inside the brain. The brain starts blowing up, just sparking all over the place. Yeah. From you recognizing their humanity is enough for them to make their own million dollars. Right. <laughs> What's interesting too is like in that homelessness example, like I if I don't have money to give someone a Ooh. beggar, I feel like it's a self-protective thing that we do to be like, "Oh, I don't have any money. I'm going to turn away from that person. I hope they don't make eye contact with me because I feel so guilty that I can't give them any money." You know, at least I know I do that. If someone's begging, I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't have anything to give. So I'm going to ignore that person, try to make it go away. And then since hearing what I heard about homeless people just wanting their humanity accepted too, like I'm never going to do that again, you know, to smile at the person, to say hello, to have a conversation or just say like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't have anything to give today, but good luck. Hope the next person does just to acknowledge them. Rather than like, and that actually, that feels better for us too, you know, don't you think? You remember, yes. Do you remember when we were in Philly for New Year's, it had to be 2016 into 2017, that New Year's, and we were just like, just like smoking and joking, just like bouncing around the city. Yeah, Um, New Year's Eve. And there was that homeless guy who came up to us and somehow like you went to wawa and got him a hoagie didn't you yeah yeah well i i I was like get whatever you want i'll pay for it but the way he started off was like hey man i'm a veteran i did this and this and and now i'm like really hard up on my luck and i was like kind of drunk so (laughs) so i was like oh really you're and i like literally just became a veteran yeah right it was like that day i became a veteran I'm like, I didn't say that to him, but I was like, oh, really? Where'd you serve? What'd you do? What unit were you with? And everything he said, like, from from word one, I was like, bullshit. He's not a veteran? Not not even (laughs) close. Like, immediately I knew knew it. And I was like, I let him talk for a little bit, and I was like, hey, man, like, I understand that you're in a hard situation, but I know you're not a veteran. And I was like, just tell me the truth. I want to help you. Like, I want to make this a good new year for you. Uh, let me know how I can help, but just be honest with me for a second. And essentially what he told me, 
um, as we were walking to Wawa because like that's just how we were moving. I miss Wawa. <laughs> <laughs> he, he essentially what he told me was he does that because that's the only way anybody will even give him a second look. Wow. Is he says he's a veteran. Man, and here's the thing too is like it's so easy to hear a story like that that you just told or to be in your situation and be like ah you're a liar man and just like totally oh yeah like spit in his face spit, be like yeah. don't don't you know don't disrespect you don't know what like I did for this asshole. country yeah yeah and like send him away and how much worse does that make the situation for him and like I really am convinced that anytime somebody does something Anytime someone sins, right? Anytime someone does something bad like that, you know, mm-hmm. lying. He lied. is a bad thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. You can get to the heart of why people do that. And that's what you did. Like, instead of just condemning him outright, you got to the heart of why did this guy feel like he needs to lie? Mm-hmm. He opened up to you and was like, it's the only way that anyone will give me a time day. It's the only way he can get a meal. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't lie if it's the only way you can eat, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So... No, I think we should forgive each other a little bit more readily. Well, I just had this thought as you were saying that our common reaction in being raised in the Catholic Church, this is my thinking as well, mm. is when you do something bad, you're punished for it. Yes. You do something requiring punishment. Yes, you do something bad, you yes, you can reconcile, you can go to confession, but you're given your punishment. Say fifteen Hail Marys, <laughs> go tell your mother you love her, whatever. Like there's any combination of things. It's your punishment. Yeah. It's, they, they call it your penance, but it's your punishment. <laughs> when somebody does something wrong and you catch them in the act, if you further degrade or, or yell at or berate or make them feel worse about it, I think that that increases the likelihood of them doing it again. Right. Versus if you're able to recognize the humanity in them, yeah. why they would do something like that and guide them towards a, a and better help them with yeah, that. And guide yeah. them towards a better way. Yeah. Even just recognizing it and, like, asking a further question, you lessen the chance that they'll do it again. I mean, so, for that guy in that particular example, I wouldn't even advise him to do anything differently. I'd be like, yeah, do what works for you, man. Like, keep lying about being a I didn't tell him to stop. Right? I was just like, hey, wrong guy. Yeah, you, you told wrong the wrong guy, guy Ooh, that. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such an interesting story. So, so kind of, I guess, going back to this whole to the whole thing that's happening in GameStop with the GameStop stock stock and on Wall Street what I was just wondering if you have changed your thinking on what the meaning of life is from when you were a boy scout Yeah, I told you I was right then. I'm right now. I have never been wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you know what I want to say though hmm. before I get to the the, the GameStop thing. No, before I get to that is you keep saying you say like Buddha nature or like what was the other thing that you said? Mm, I don't know. Anyway, it's like this idealized thing that we have this like the light inside. Of yeah, we have this light inside us. Yeah. I really like what Chogam Trumpa says. Uh, Chogam Trumpa Rinpoche says it, He did. He's no. He's okay. <laughs> he says this like you can go online and he's there. And he's there. <laughs> On video. What he says is that we're all basically good. He keeps it very simple. Every human being has a basic goodness. I love that. It's that so, is the opposite of original freaking No, sin. okay, that's a conversation for a different time because okay. I actually read some very interesting like back and forth on that. Okay. But yeah, We're it's the way good. that we use it uh, socially, yes, it's the opposite from, from original sin. But we'll get back to that some other time. Um, but I think that that's so much more um, accessible 
then that we're then, all then we basically say, gay. Yeah, then then saying food and nature or the light inside you or something like sure, that. Sure. But instead to say like, hey, you have a lot of layers, and all those layers are covering up your goodness. <laughs> it's actually so beautiful yeah Ima- i mean just the way that you just looked at me and said that imagine if we did that to criminals who had just committed even violent crimes right to take that michael put his hand on my shoulder in the most beautiful way <laughs> just imagine doing that to someone and saying hey you are good you are basically good despite everything that you did there's a goodness inside of you that is hitting me really hard that is really powerful what you're saying and and what it it's kind of a a a tricky little wordplay which he actually does a lot as he says we're all basically good and then people you can think about that for a second and be like what do you mean basically (laughs) right so like it forces you it almost forces you to think and then to ask a further question and be like what are you saying like I'm basically good, but I'm mostly bad, or I'm partially, and, I, and I'm basically like, what are you trying to say? But what he means is foundationally. Yeah. At the most basic element of you, you're foundationally it's good. I love that so much. So if I view the world in that way, yeah, and then I look back on on this whole GameStop debacle and and all this stuff, is what I see is a bunch of people recognizing the kind of basic goodness of a company Mm. and trying to save it Mm. and i'm not saying that companies are people because i disagree with that (laughs) but that's what i see is people recognizing the goodness in something and that something good could still come from this thing and winning over people who only see greed or a chance to make money or have like maybe a very like uh, pessimistic view on the world yeah. because you have to i'm sorry mm. like no matter no matter what the case is or however you define yourself if you spend your time looking for losers eventually all you see are losers and you start to view the world in that context You know, the irony is not lost on me either that when we first started talking about GameStop, we were saying how terrible it is of the hedge funds to be searching out those losers, like you say, and then kicking the legs out from under them and basically betting on and celebrating their failure, Mm -hmm. other people's failures. Because I'm very much celebrating the failure of the billionaires in this situation, this story. Yeah, we all are. And there's there's uh, some irony in that right there. Definitely. But at the same time, like, I was talking about that one billionaire that I saw a clip of on CNN crying, essentially, about how much they've lost. But what you just said about basic goodness, I also think that we all at various times recognize our own basic goodness and forget our own basic goodness about ourselves too. Mm -hmm. So your example of being at OCS where they're trying to demoralize and dehumanize you essentially to beat you down, like you forgot your basic goodness until the one officer looked at you and you remembered your humanity. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. And this billionaire crying on CNN he's hurt Mm. in the same I don't know if I'll say it the same way oh Kyle's here (laughs) Um, he's confused too 
You know, that billionaire is feeling like, I'm a good person. Let him in. <laughs> Hi, Kyle. That billionaire is feeling like, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I'm sure everyone believes that they're the hero of their own story, right? Everybody feels like the hero of their own story. So in his mind, he's good. He's the good guy here. And something bad has happened to him. And he's hurt. As much as I'm like, yeah, okay, crocodile tears of the billionaires, I also understand that in this guy's mind, he's suffering. And it just goes to show we can suffer no matter what worldly goods we have. That it actually has nothing to do with how rich you are, yeah, or how so much you own, or how isn't much you have. Yeah, so having a billion dollars isn't going to make your life actually it's, better. <laughs> we know that for a fact, right? Having a billion dollars is not going to make anyone actually happier. Didn't they say there's a threshold of how much money? Yeah, there's a couple of different studies on it, but none of them have identified. All the thresholds have been under a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, so, so under six years. Yeah. yeah there's some threshold of when it improves your life to a degree that you can live more comfortably and without suffering but once you go past that and make more than that it just brings more suffering into your life more responsibility more problems more money more problems as they say as they say so yeah i just i don't know that really was profound to me that idea of our inherent goodness because i think when we forget it we suffer when others don't see it in us, we suffer. Well, that is the general premise of life, is that you were born into certain causes and conditions that enabled you to forget your basic goodness. Mm. And your whole job is to remember. Yes. And help as many people as possible remember. Yeah. That's it. That's beautiful. Um, I have one more thing about the GameStop that, I want, that I've been thinking about too, which is like, I think a lot of why people love GameStop, or you said they recognize the inherent goodness in it or whatever, is mostly based in nostalgia. And I'm someone who really loves tradition and nostalgia and all this, but I also can recognize that it's not exactly helpful for forward progress. Mm. GameStop's going to die eventually. Guaranteed. Yeah, Yeah, but if you tank them in one day, you don't give them the chance to potentially blossom into something different or new or give people a chance to like get their feet underneath them like literally you could tank you could bankrupt that company into debt exactly and this is where forward progress shouldn't just benefit those who are already on top and i think this is what i love so much about that story is that it showed the collective power of the little guy Mm -hmm. you know redditors i'm i love reddit i'm on reddit all the time yeah too much (laughs) too much um the little guy like to me it's got me thinking what else can we band together to do because it's not enough to just save a failing company essentially Mm -hmm. but if we commit to saving all of the main street stores mom and pop shops if we all commit to not just going with convenience and buying from which Amazon, GameStop isn't I know, it isn't exactly but, but so your it's different. point yeah but you know what i mean yeah. like if we all could use that collective power that we have through the internet now for good 
to say, hey, we actually do have power in numbers. Like Reddit has so much power in numbers that sometimes someone will post something interesting from a kind of obscure website and they call it the Reddit hug of death. So many people will then visit that website all at once that it can't handle, doesn't have the bandwidth to handle that many visitors and it gets completely shut down. You know, you get an error message that's or like the That's like the kid, I'm not allowed to say the word anymore, but like the kid who doesn't realize how strong he is and, and like strangles his pet. Oh, like the girl from Finding yeah. Nemo is a good example. Like she's so excited to get a new fish, and she shakes the bag so much that she ends up killing it. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a love bomb. Yeah. Yeah, and there's clearly that incredible power in numbers there. So I just want to like challenge everyone and ourselves to think we're not the little man anymore when there's so many of us. Mm. I mean, isn't that how every like uprising has ever happened? Is from the the lower classes realizing the power they have in numbers yeah and i hope also i want your thought to be the final thought so i'm going to cut it off for a second <laughs> i hope also that people recognize the difference between this happening versus the capital riots because both essentially had a similar mm. uh a similar and mm. yeah angle type to get rid of the powers that be and 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 bring up the little guy Right. Mm. But there's a very clear distinction between the two and the effectiveness between the two. So yeah. to understand the types of things that work and the it's types of violence and the types of things that are lunacy. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's not violence. I think that's a big part of it. Right. It's it's intellectual coming together. It's using the system using for yourself the system to benefit. Yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. So yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway for it is what else, you know, what other corrupt systems can be taken down by power and numbers with the intention of good. It's exciting. Yeah. I think that that pretty much wraps up all my thoughts on GameStop for today. Me too. Thanks for teaching me about it too. Yeah. It's it's something that actually I was legitimately excited about when it happened. So <laughs> nice. it's, it's fun that it's so becoming so relevant so nice to be excited 2021 has brought us sea shanties the people rising against wall street (laughs) pretty satisfied with this year so far Mm. (laughs) all right everyone enjoy the rest of your day we'll talk to you soon bye